Good morning again. Let's hear the word of God together. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. I'm only going to read six or seven verses down to verse 18. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Father God, teach us from your word this morning, we pray. Amen. So a man goes to a diner every day for lunch. He always orders the soup du jour. One day the manager asked him how he liked his meal. The man replies, it was good, but you could give me a little more bread. So the next day the manager tells the waitress to give him two more slices than the usual two. So he gets four slices of bread with his meal. How was your meal, sir? The manager asks. It was good, but you could give me a little more bread, comes the reply. So the next day the manager tells the waitress to double that, to give him eight slices of bread. How was your meal today, sir? asks the manager. Good, but you could still give me a little more bread. So the next day, the manager tells the waitress, give him the whole loaf with his soup. How was your meal? He says when it comes time to pay. It was good, but you could give me a little more bread. Well, now the manager's obsessed with trying to satisfy this customer. So he goes to the bakery. He gets them to bake a six foot loaf of bread. When the manager comes in as usual the next day, he and the waitress go to that loaf, slice it right down the middle, flip it over, butter both sides, and place it on his table next to his soup. The man sits down, eats the bowl of soup, devours every crumb of that six-foot loaf of bread. Finally, the manager thinks he's going to get the answer he's been waiting for. When the fellow comes up to pay for his meal, he says, How was your meal today, sir? The man replies, It was good as usual, but I see you're back to serving two slices of bread. <laughs> well, the message today isn't about soup, and it's not about bread. But we will talk about the issue of complaining and arguing, and how divisive it can be. 
First, let's see what brought Paul to this point in the letter. This passage is a lot like the end of a sermon. Paul has spoken at length on the condition of the Philippian church. He's called them to work together and to put aside petty squabbling that can grow into full-scale church-wrecking dissent. He's reminded them that suffering and trials are part and parcel of our faith. As Christ suffered to bring us salvation, so we too will undergo hardship in our faith. He has encouraged them to act in humility to bring them closer together. And in doing this, pointed to the greatest act of humility in history. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as his example. He's about to return to talking about his own current situation, but not before wrapping up his train of thought that concerns facing hardship together, that concerns working together and putting each other first. Let's look at these first two verses again. Therefore, my dear friends, you know he loves them, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He starts off with these kind words to demonstrate his affection for these people. His good intentions and in what he's about to tell them. He's not the arrogant master that bosses his servants around. He's the loving teacher sharing essential truths with a class that he dearly loves. As you have always obeyed is a reference to their demonstrated desire to follow God. It's an acknowledgement that they as a church have always tried to do what they know God wants of them. And they do it whether with Paul is with them or not. Remember those special days in school when our poor teacher would fall sick. And we would be treated, treated pardon me, treated, to the presence of a substitute teacher. Oh, we kids loved substitute day. We promptly tested the mettle of the substitute, throwing aside all the discipline that our regular teacher had instilled in us throughout the year. It was amazing how little time it took for all of our teacher's hard work to dissolve in her absence. Not so with the Philippians. Paul's been gone for years, but they have thrived as a Christian community. Paul acknowledges this and compliments them for it. But then he moves on to the point of the sentence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did I read that right? Work and salvation in the same sentence? I thought that salvation from God was supposed to be freed. Christ paid the price for us, so how can we work out our salvation if it's already paid for? Many people see these words, they read them, and what they think is that Paul is talking about earning our way into heaven. 
And that's confusing, but we have to look deeper because it isn't the case. Does the passage say that we have to work for our salvation or work out our salvation? There's a big difference there. Work for would mean earning it. And that's unacceptable. We don't earn our salvation. Work out means to do, to act upon, to demonstrate. Paul is calling us to act out our faith like we truly believe it. One of the most important things about Christ's death for us on the cross was that he did it because there was absolutely no other way we could ever have peace with God. We could ever get into heaven. We can't earn our way in or, or sneak in or break in. We don't buy our salvation from him. But we can certainly act as though we take it seriously. We don't work for it, but we work out it by showing God we take him seriously. With fear and trembling isn't a popular phrase in these days because we so regularly associate fear with evil or wrongdoing. The fear of God, however, is a deep-seated respect that acknowledges God as our supreme being and pays him the respect that he's due. Paul himself has been confronted by God, and it's a terrifying thing. But the terror is cleansing, not harmful. It puts the world into perspective. This is God's world, not ours. We had best live in a way that gives God his due. Paul is calling them and, and us to live out their salvation by keeping in mind who has saved them. Not the big guy or the man upstairs, but the God that brought the world together and sustains the very fabric of the universe we live in. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We've been given this very high calling and we're being promised that God is in the midst of it, leading us toward himself and bringing all of our efforts into line with what he wants to accomplish. God isn't just the subject of our faith. He helps us work it out by giving us strength to follow him in every and any circumstance. What we have to do is move forward in good faith. And then we know we can trust that God will take what we do, what we say, what we strive for, and make it into something more wonderful than we could ever accomplish on our own. So Paul is calling us to demonstrate their salvation, to demonstrate our salvation as if before God, knowing and trusting that God will take their efforts and our efforts and do marvelous things with it. He now shares a final thought about their cohesiveness as a group. Verse 14, do everything without complaining. Or arguing. Do everything 
without complaining or arguing. Pretty simple, isn't it? He's already said, be of like mind. He said, contend as one man. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now he just tells them to cut it out. No more. If you don't like something, make sure you evaluate your motives before you take a stand on it. For example, and I'll put myself in the, the, the withering spotlight here. There are certain camp songs that I just don't like. In the course of an entire summer of camp, I've suffered through these songs two or three hundred times. I won't sing them unless I'm roped into it. And usually what I do is I kind of make up silly lyrics just under my voice so that I can alleviate some of the pain and suffering of pushing through one of those songs again. But I would never, ever dream of getting into a fight over these songs on any level. I wouldn't stand up in the back of the group of singers and say, this song sucks, I hate it, let's not sing it. That would be terrible. And unfortunately, issues as petty as this do sometimes become contentious and churches suffer because of it. Paul's words are simple. They're easy to understand directions to follow concerning such issues. Just don't do it. He then contains by explaining the results of not bickering. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Now these verses need a closer look. This is one of those moments when Paul is speaking to the Philippians using terms that would mean a lot more to them than they do to us. They can mean a lot to us too, but we need to know a little bit of the background to understand why they're so important. The Bible that the Philippian church would be reading or hearing wasn't the same as the one we have. The New Testament is still an ongoing creation when Paul is writing this letter. Their Bible would have been what we call the, the Old Testament. That was finished 400 years before Christ ever came to earth. They would have started to have received some of these other letters from the various apostles because churches would get them, copy them out, and send them on. And that was starting. That was underway. But what they really had was the Old Testament. So on top of that, they don't have the whole Bible the way we do. And... A lot of them don't read at all. They listened. They, they listened to their teachers read and heard the scriptures again and again. But they rarely sat down to read the way we can. Materials for writing weren't cheap. Many of them simply didn't learn how to read or write. It's a fact that more slaves who did the household work knew how to read or write 
than the people in the homes because they didn't need to bother learning. They had other people doing that sort of thing for them. These verses, oh, one more thought. They learned to learn very well from hearing. And they would have recognized key words and terms instantly. And these verses I've read contain imagery and phrases from the Old Testament that would have just clicked with the people that were listening to the spoken word of God. Shining like stars in the universe isn't just poetry, it's straight from the prophet Daniel, who was sharing God's promise that those wise enough to heed him would shine like stars in the heavens. A crooked and depraved generation isn't just creative criticism. It's, it's straight from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament, where Moses is lamenting the hard-heartedness of a crooked and depraved generation that would not follow God. One of the worst sins that Moses confronted was with the divisiveness of the people in the wilderness. God's people constantly reduced themselves to God's bickering and whining brats. And the two images are from stories that the people listening would have heard again and again and again. He's painting a picture that draws from their heritage. It's just like maple syrup and, and curling for us today. It would have been like the teacher using images from the stories we grew up with. It's an extremely effective teaching method. And Paul's using it to make a very clear point. Those who strive to follow God and work together will shine, standing out from their opponents like stars in the heavens. And furthermore, they're literally holding out life to those who are stumbling in the darkness. We don't get imagery like that today. We talk about being a presence or making an impact. But Paul says that what they're doing is like a light for those who are blind. A bridge from dying to living. And he's not afraid to share that the Philippians strive to act in this way. When they do, it gives him great personal satisfaction. Seeing the Philippians act as one brings great joy to Paul. He's seen them through so much and prays for their continued love and togetherness. He takes it personally, like anyone who really cares for something. He finishes up these thoughts by assuring them that despite his words of correction and exhortation, he does see them as a worthy cause, and their work together is something to rejoice over. Verses 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The imagery is that of the Old Testament priest pouring wine before the altar in preparation for the sacrifice. We may be tempted to see these words and think that Paul is declaring that he's ready to be sacrificed for the sake of the Philippians' growth. And that's a noble and inspiring picture, but it's not quite what Paul is saying here. 
this image again centers around something that they would have clicked into right away. There was something called a drink offering, which was a small part of some of the sacrifices we find in the Old Testament. In the midst of performing the ritual, the priest might, under some circumstances, pour a small measure of wine, the very best wine, on the sacrifice. It was a token added to the larger whole. With this in mind, I believe that Paul is saying that even if his efforts are just but a small addition to the whole, then he'll be happy. He wants to know that his efforts are not in vain as we see in verse 16, but he's ready to see them in perspective. So many people play a part in the growth of a Christian. And Paul realizes he might just be a small part of a greater thing. And that's okay, as long as he's part of the plan. As if efforts are just a small part of the process of the Philippians taking God seriously and serving Him out of their faith, the mission accomplished. This fits in with his desire that they be humble, that they serve together, that they look out for each other and play a part in what God is doing. That's enough for him. And his last words here make it clear he thinks that that's enough for them as well. So what is Paul saying to us today? Let your faith show. Our faith is a personal faith, but it should have a public presence. It's free of charge, but it should be demonstrated in our lives. From the closets of our minds, to the places we work, to the stores we shop in. Do we need to holler from the street corners? Well, maybe a few of us do sometimes, but overall, no, you don't all have to go out today, line up Main Street and start shouting. God gives us many different ways to work out our salvation. What matters is that we're faithful to be a part of what He's doing and that we serve Him out of respect, awe, and even, as Paul says, fear and trembling. Do everything without arguing or complaining. Just cut it out. All of us. We can be such a powerful force. Look at the imagery he's used here. Shine like stars. Hold out the words of life. But we have to put squabbles in their proper places. The G-bin. The garbage can. If you're but a small part of what God is doing, mission accomplished. We don't have to compete to be a part of God's work. Some of us preach, others sing, others dance. Some give and some take. Some host parties, others knit clothing or sew quilts. Others change babies or teach children. The list goes on and on and on. The bottom line is that if you're striving to serve God, then you are part of what God is doing. We can shine like stars in the universe if we let God work through us. We don't have to worry about who's shining brighter or anything like that. 
We just have to be ready to take what God has given to us and put it to work for Him. We all have something that can be put to work for God in our lives. And when God's people bring His gifts together for His work, the church truly shines. Let's pray. Father God, give us those opportunities to shine. Give us those moments. Give us those chances. Help us to work out, not work for, our salvation. We thank you for it. Without your sacrifice, without your death on the cross and resurrection, we'd be nothing. We'd be less than nothing. Because of your work, Lord Jesus, we're saved when we believe and place our trust in you. But we don't have to work for that salvation. We work out what you've already done. Help us to see that. Help us to believe that. And help us to act upon that with the opportunities you bring into our lives every day. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.